0: Back to the point of what did I do for myself? I had to run. I had to go lift weights. I had to get back into my body. Like I've always been an athlete, always played sports. Um, And so that was the time for me to do that. And immediately as I did that, thoughts became clear. Like, you know, I think the foundation and the bedrock on which my, my emotions ran was just solid. It was far more solid. I was calmer in situations because I was able to exert myself physically and run through all the thoughts of the day and all the emotions of the day, right, Um, was a big deal. And also just talking to God.
1: Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives, in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process, as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. So excited for you guys to join us today. I have my friend, Jason matu Green. He's a va- video content creator, producer, and director. He is also a husband and a father and a friend. And yes. a <laughs> we yes. were just going down memory lane. We have not seen each other in maybe 25, I don't know how many, maybe 20 years. Who knows? Wow. At least 20 probably. But um, I saw your wife and your kids when I was down in California a few years ago. So I got to meet uh major in parker and got to spend some time with tara so but you were you were working that day so i didn't get to see you but it's so so i'm just so happy to have you on so thank you jason for being here
0: no worries kendra it's so good to see you man you're like a light you're a constant beacon in the world and by the way fans and folks her whole family is like this Uh, that smile it's the same thing all of your siblings your uh, mom your dad like all of it I remember Aww. it so well. So good to see you. Guys. So
1: sweet. Thank you. Same, my friend. I feel the same about you. And I'm. it was the timing of me connecting with you to have you on was so interesting because you had been on my mind. And mm. then when I messaged you, you had just released your new YouTube channel uh, yeah. circles and squares uh, yeah. with our friend uh, Mathai. Do you, are you guys going to do the, in all of them together? all yeah. of the episodes together. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you and and Mathai to doing that. And then you said, "Hold on, I have wait till you see the episode I'm about to release next week yeah. and it was exactly on the topic that we will be talking about today." So it was yeah. right in alignment with that. So anyway, oh my gosh, I'm saying too much without saying without really going into the details <laughs> of why it is you're here. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about your upbringing. Yeah. Then let's talk about your first marriage. And that's part of the reason we're chatting today, it's your grief journey there. And then we'll talk about your present as well. So let's go there. Tell me, where did you grow up, Jason?
0: So I uh, grew up in Pasadena, California. I'm the the youngest of six. Um, And, you know, it was one of those things that my dad was a Marine. Um, So a lot of my siblings were born like all over the world Okinawa, Hawaii. Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, like we were just born all over the place. And so I kind of came in last, after my dad had just retired. So it was a very strict military household, but a lot of love, a lot of joy, a lot of music. Um, And it was just a great time. Like I grew up having the best time ever. So, you know, it's one of those things I think, even in, in my creative work, a lot of it is there's a lot of humor and there's a lot of high energy involved like you know you know mathai is super calm and chill you know my co-producer and co-creator on circles so and squares chill. and i'm like this super hype individual like yo let's go i'm Sue, let's go you know it's one of those things it's because my whole family was like that like that's my dad right so you know it was just a lot of fun growing up in in pasadena you know this is like the early 80s and throughout and um, yeah, it was just a wonderful experience, man.
1: That's awesome. So you mentioned music. So I know you're a musician, but so then yeah. was music part of, was your, your parents musicians? Were your siblings musicians? Yeah, me I
0: mean, that. music was is really deep in our family in terms of, you know, my grandparents all played um, instruments in the church. So, you know, my mother grew up in Detroit with my father um, going to Pastor Franklin's church, which is Aretha Franklin's father. And so our grandparents wow. played organ and guitar in that church. So gospel music was always a big thing. And, you know, like any young kid, when you're like 13, 14, 15, you're starting to find your own identity. So, you know, I was finding my identity through music at that age, but I had such a background in it that like I understood gospel mm-hmm. You know, I had an affinity for jazz. I love funk and R&B. Like, it was just something that was played in our house all the time. And with six siblings, four of them being sisters, it was a lot of, like, Michael Jackson, a lot of Stevie Wonder, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of that stuff was just always playing. Yeah. Uh And And so, you know, growing up in that, as I became 14, 15, started to come into my teens, my music was hip hop. Like I I found hip hop and it was like, ah, this is for me. Right. You know, every generation has a thing. It's just part of that youthful expression. Right. So, you know, what was
1: it about hip hop? What was it? What was it about hip hop that just attracted you? Was it the storytelling and hip hop, the, Mm. you know, what, what is it in hip hop that was like, your, whoa, this is my home.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the same for everything and anything that people connect with. It's that it feels like it speaks your language. So at the time, you know, uh, you know, coming up in, as a teenager in like 87, 88, 89, it really was a lot of topics, um, a lot of wordplay, a lot of just music that was in the craft that I connected with because also in hip hop, there's obviously like sampling around eighty eight, eighty-nine, right? And and even before that, but during that time, a lot of the samples were things that we went to in our cabinet when we were listening to music over the weekend, right? So it wasn't yeah. odd to hear somebody like, you know, Miles Davis or hear a Stevie Wonder and then be like, oh that's they sampled this. Like it's just stuff that I I knew. I just had a connection with. And so Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a culmination, right? It feels like you're part of the culture and that's the greatest thing. What's your tribe when you're 15, 16, you're trying to figure all that out. And it was sort of like, ah, this is a home like this. Ah, yeah. Like I get this. It feels right. It's not for my parents. It's not for (laughs) my siblings, not for my aunts. Like it's specifically for me and that's what you're you're trying to do. You're trying to carve out a niche for yourself. And so it was all of those things, right? That kind of just brought it where I was like, ah, okay, I found it, right? Um,
1: That's awesome. And now, yeah. how, did you? Are you self-taught with the instruments that you play, or did you go to school to learn any instruments? Did you have any te- you know, teachers for yeah, instruments, yeah. or I mean, did you self-learn? You're bass, I, I right? Are school. you bass? I play.
0: I play bass. I'm a bassist. Um, And I went to school Mm -hmm. for a little bit. So I was um, in classical string in college, um, learning the upright bass. So, you know, French bow and German bow. Um, And as I was doing that, it was just the people that I were around were like, yo, we need a bassist in this hip hop group, which was kind of the thing that was happening, bringing live instrumentation into music at the time. So I just stopped school and kept playing and moved kind of to electric bass. And, you know, again, it was one of those things that it was like a home. It was the best of both worlds. I grew up, mm-hmm. you know, summer spending in Detroit around music, live music, and now I'm playing it, but within the framework of the culture that I most connect to being hip hop. So it was the perfect, it was the perfect mix. And the people that I was with, I mean, you know, those guys, you know, Ray Lu and Ben. I was
1: just gonna say. Right?
0: Jamal. I was going to ask, then,
1: how did you end up coming? Yeah. How did you end up coming to meet all this other new family, family, new family,
0: addition to your family? Yeah, man, that's the incredible thing about your life story as you look back, right? Because now I'm 46 and I'm thinking like, oh, when I was 22, I was going to Pasadena City College playing basketball and one of the dudes on my team is Ray Lu, who is my longtime friend now, right? Yeah. And we just hung out and we connected through our joy of music. And then he was like, hey, let's go hang out with this dude. And we hung out with another guy. And the other guy knew guys who were in Justice League. And we all kind of ended up hanging out and being like, oh, like, what's, what's this about? Like, okay. And for me, for those that know or don't know, like, all of these guys that I met that were in this group Justice League were Baha'is. So I knew nothing about the Baha'i Faith. And I come in and all these guys, none of them are drinking. None of them are smoking. Like none of them are chasing girls. Like it was the funniest thing. I was like, who are these weirdos? But like there was a connection and we, and we had this, <laughs> this friendship that was like born out of the love of the music and just generally funny people. Like if you can make me laugh or we can like go at it, like I'm, I'm, I'm in it, like let's go. And so that's how I met these guys and eventually played a little bit for them um, as their, their bassist in a lot of their shows and a lot of the recordings. Um, my wife, Tara Ellis, was around at that time. So we had been friends long before we even dated or got married. Um, but we were just kind of all mm-hmm. around each other. There's a community that was formed based on this music and this culture. And we've kind of have just grown mm-hmm. through the last 20 plus years In that you know and the roots are just so So deep now there's just so much history that it's like yeah
1: yeah and it's it's not only revolving around the aspect of music but also the fact that you guys use music as a vehicle of service too you know and that that really because you would perform in different events and things like that that had like some kind of social action type of involvement too that makes it be that you create this different bond when you are connected with somebody in that light of service.
0: Yeah. And we don't, and I didn't even realize that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm just like doing music and having fun and, you know, just being like, this is, this is dope. I'm, I'm, I'm into this. But then, you know, later on you realize sort of what you're doing and the effect that it's had. And I think that takes a little bit of hindsight because when you're 20 you're doing this, and you're like, yeah, I'll go do a show in Arizona, or we'll go do this and that. And it's really just about you wanting to practice your craft, right. But then you start to see the uh-huh. effect that it has, and you start having conversations. And you're like, oh, like, yo, this is this is a thing, like, people are responding to it in ways in which I did not expect, right. And so that's where that mm-hmm. unity piece comes from. And it's really just vibe, right? We're all connected by this vibe. And, and the vibe is love. You know, let's just distill Uh. everything and call it what it is. It's love. Um, And so it's one of those things now that you look back and you can clearly see it, but you're in it. You're not necessarily aware. Like, I'm a pretty sharp guy, but I don't know how sharp I was at 2021. Ronaldo, you'll remember I was not that sharp. I'm not picking stuff up
1: like that. I wasn't that sharp either. <laughs> I wasn't that sharp either. I like I don't know if you're supposed when to. When right? I meet people now and then, Well, I you know, when, although you know, I look back, I was looking back at a video of me talking about when my sister died and he, and myself videotaping talking about my grief journey then. Yeah. And I was actually shocked that as a 21-year-old I thought in the way I did. I was like Oh, I didn't know I was deep, you know, at 21. Uh, I had really no clue. So we might have been deeper in thought and the process than we think we were. Because when you look back, you're like, oh, wait, you know, we are also kids, right? So we're also, you know, living and making probably (laughs) not being too bright in the choices we make in life sometimes, but it is what it is. So let's navigate into then how then you met um, your first wife. Damina, Damina, I, I was telling you, I'm like, I want to say it like I'm like, say it like it. that. That's she, that, she loves
0: that. <laughs> I'm telling you, she's in the next world, like, yo, Rinaldi's saying it really well. That's how she would wish she would have pronounced it. Like, she wish oh. I would have said that all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so, so Damina, us, how did you meet her?
1: Yeah. It was,
0: it's really interesting. So, again, you're kind of the roots kind of in the thread throughout is that um, the relationship to being a Baha'i. So I was, again, just thinking back to the music that we were doing with all these guys that were Baha'is, I was hanging out with them, but not connected in any, in any way to their faith, you know, cause I still wanted to mm. smoke my weed and drink my drink and hang out, um, and do things that I'm not supposed to be doing, I guess. Maybe it was the best thing that I did that, but anyways, I digress. Um, so, After seven to eight years of just being around these guys, there were a couple of events that happened that made me say, okay, what do you want your life to be? What do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to live? How do you want your heart to feel? How do you want your mind to react to situations that you're tired of dealing with, right? And so throughout the course of those events, a friend of mine gave me a prayer, and it's the prayer for detachment. And I would say this prayer every day. And I would say it, I said it every day over the course of a week. And by week's end, the situation that I was in, I felt detached from. And I knew that that had to be a result of these prayers. And then this one prayer in particular. So I decided, okay, this is for me. And I became a Baha'i. And one of the first things I did, because part of the Baha'i identity is a being of service. So by that time, I'm 23, 24, um, and um, they're like, yo, we could really use somebody like you to go and hang out with youth in Oregon. So over one summer, I did a road trip with Zach and Mona, her now, who used to be Mona Kashani, and Zach Hearn at the time, yes.
1: who I've were kind of like- I interviewed Mona, I interviewed Mona.
0: Yo, like the strongest person ever. Like I'm like, if she, and she's tiny, but like packs a wallop. So she'd be like, you're going on this trip with us. So we'd go on a road trip and we went up to Oregon. And one of the camps we went to, um, Damina was there. And I mean, you know, I'm 24 and at the time she's 17. So I'm not paying any mind to her at all. Like she was just super cool. And what I did not know, Kendra, is that while I was at this camp, um, working with the youth group that she was in, she was like, oh man, he's really cute. And in her mind, cause she obviously <laughs> never said this. She was like, I'm going to marry him. She had like, kind of put those roots in mentally. Like he's someone I want to marry. Right. So I'm there. I hang out with her. I hang out with her brother, you know, throughout the course of the camp. And then I leave, don't think anything of it. Um, three years later, I go to another camp. She's not there, but she comes at the tail end of it. And is like, Hey, how are you doing? I was like, Oh, what's going on? We exchange information. And next thing I know, we're emailing. Um, and it just, you know, things blossom they turn into something right you may not be expecting it and then you're like oh this is this is interesting let me dust this off and in- inspect this let's let's look at this a little deeper and investigate it right um, and it just blossomed into a wonderful friendship into a romance and we were living like in two totally different environments she was in Portland day. Oregon you know and I'm here in LA And so we would just hang out once in a while, like I'd fly up to Portland for a weekend or she'd come down to LA. And it was sort of that for two or two, maybe two years, I think it was, right? Um, And then she transferred to a college in Ohio. She went to Antioch in Yellow Springs, Ohio. And I think that was the part of our relationship where we were like, okay, are we gonna do this or not do this? and she spent a year in Ohio at Antioch, and then was like, I wanna do this. And I was like, I wanna do this too. How interesting. And so she came this, back. This like the sh- meaning
1: the relationship. This The
0: relationship, yeah. Jason, I mean, sorry, I'm
1: like, I know that there's an echo, the relationship.
0: Yeah, no worries, no worries. Um, and so shortly after that, you know, she came to LA and we got married really quickly you know you're like because what are you going to do you're going to like oh we're going to date forever like I'm not into any of that right like no if we're going to do this we're going to do this and and she is very much that same kind of person um and we got married it's amazing got married in my parents home a small wedding Mm -hmm. my mom my dad her mom her dad one of her brothers. Um, All my siblings, except one of them, which was still living in D.C. And it was the sweetest, smallest little wedding that we could have ever had. It was Mm -hmm. the best thing. And we took off. You start your life. You start going down a path. So then. You have no idea what's going to happen. You just go down the path. What
1: it's going to lead. Yeah. But the fact that you had the family support and you, you know, unit supporting you in this marriage already, yeah. you know, start, you started off in the right way. Did you guys then decide to live in California or where in the LA area or where did you live as a married couple since she mm. had just been in Ohio? Like where did, or, and she yeah. was from Portland. Where did yeah. you live?
0: I mean, I'm an LA kid. I'm not going anywhere. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, why am I going to leave LA to go to Portland and get rained on all the time. That makes no sense for me, people. I, I am a tropical person. Kendra, we are tropical people. We want no part of the cold. I'm definitely not moving to Ohio. I was like, maybe New York City, but I was like, there's nothing in New York for me. And the winters, nah, I'm good. So, you know, we settled on LA and we lived literally, you know, like Hollywood, which is, you know, it it was like, sort of like East Hollywood. So, you know, Los Feliz, Silver Lake Mm -hmm. community, we lived there and then moved after the, after maybe a year there, two years there to Pasadena, back to kind of like South Pasadena. Um,
1: Back where you grew up.
0: Kind of back where we grew up. Yeah. Where I grew up, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, it's when you move as, as someone who's single, and you like, I'm just going to pick up and I'm moving to another neighborhood. It's, it's different when you're married and you do that, right? So we just kind of like, where do we want to go? And, and I'm always about like, I want to be near the city, but I would like to have space. I want quiet at night. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want some kind of piece of me that can step away from the madness when I want to. And, you know, Pasadena is definitely that um, in certain pockets of the neighborhoods, right? Um, so that's kind of where we we planted um, for a long time before we moved into Highland Park.
1: Okay. And yeah. so I liked what you said about the needing the... I, I like what you said about the needing that quiet because it says a lot about you too because it means that you are okay with sitting in your thoughts and your emotions too. I'm yeah. assuming that by just what you yeah. just said of being you know, away from all the hustle and bustle and retreating yeah. and kind of being able to, um, to, you know, think and be and, and meditate per se, or yes. so um, I like that visual. Yeah. So how far into then your marriage uh, was, was that, mean, like, when did her illness, when was her diagnosis and when did that, um, how old was she when she was diagnosed? Let's go
0: so, um, you know, we were living in Highland Park, and I would say, you know, that would be probably year three into the marriage, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, that's putting her at like 26.
1: So young. Um, so her diagnosis yeah. was brain brain cancer?
0: It was brain cancer. It's, um, you know, glioblastoma, um, so tumors in the brain. Um, and it was really crazy because at the time we were living in Highland Park and she was going to UCLA to finish her studies. And, you know, one day she's like, all right, I'm off to school. And where we lived, we lived on a raised platform where we could see down into the street. So we were kind of on the hill. And I noticed that she got, went to her car and then she was just sitting there in the car. And then I walked away and 20 minutes later, I walked back to the window and her car is still there running. And I was like, huh, she must be on the phone. Maybe she's talking to her mom or dad and she's just on the phone before she like, starts driving. And a few minutes later, she walks back up to the house and she was like, that was really strange. She was like, I don't know what's going on, but I felt the car lift and levitate like it came off the ground 10 feet and floated there and then crashed back down. And, and I was like, what? And she was like, yeah. And she's like, I don't know what's going on. And then she, she also kind of explained it that the car was floating and then it was kind of swaying back and forth and like this kind of light oscillation where it was just moving back and forth and then would crash down again. Um, and she immediately knew something wasn't right. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't eat today. Or, you know, it's not anything like, oh, my blood pressure. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. I think she immediately knew like, there was something really not right happening. Um,
1: she was so in liter- tune with her body, very in yeah. tune. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I think I think the experience that she had that first time was so visceral that she could not explain it away. Like, you know, if, you, if you've had something visceral happen to you, there's no like if, ands, or buts. It kind of is what it is. Um, and either you, you, you know, you, you lean into it and actually try to figure out what's happening, or you run, right? And she was not that person. She immediately got on the phone, made an appointment the next day. The next day we go in for an MRI, um, and because she was a student, she could do it at UCLA, went there, got it done, and later that day, you know, um, one of the school um, um, doctors was like, hey, we want you to go to this clinic. We've moved all of your MRI scans and files to this clinic. We want you to meet with this doctor. And we immediately knew like that wasn't good. There hadn't been a diagnosis given, but we were like, that's not good. Um, So we go to Cedar Sinai and this doctor proceeds to sit down and tell us that she has massive tumors throughout her brain um and before they get any further entrenched into the brain tissue that um we need to have a craniotomy done immediately and so within the course of like finding out to going in to Cedars for the craniotomy was like 72 so hours great. and it all kind of happened right around her birthday so she literally had a birthday party the day before she went in to get her craniotomy. Um, Which, you know, I think for me, and a lot of the story that I tell as now a content creator and producer on the television side is really like the story that I know. So, you know, even as I'm telling this, I'm thinking like, you know, I felt so disconnected from my body, so disconnected from reality that I remember us having this party and our, our family was over and friends were over and I was like, why are we doing this again? And it wasn't like for me, it was for her. It was it was for Demina that we did that party. She wanted to do that, which was exactly what she wanted to do. But I was so disconnected and thrown, you know, all over the place. That I, I was like, what is happening here? I was, I was processing. Right. And so. We go in, we get the craniotomy done, and you know, you go through a lot of different thoughts. I think you know the the, the clearest thing I remember about her getting the craniotomy is that we were at Cedars, and while we were there, um, I was I was looking out the window. And as I was looking out the window on onto the street, you know, you see the hustle and bustle and you see like people are just moving. Things aren't stopping because you want them to stop. They keep moving. And as my eye kind of scanned and started to focus, I saw something. I saw, you know, there was this guy who was, you know, for lack of a better term, a bum, like he was a derelict like you could see him stumbling. Like he was clearly intoxicated. And at that moment, I was like, why doesn't he have brain cancer? Why is it demeanor? Mm. And, that, and that was the first thought of like, she shouldn't be having this. Like this dude is out there hanging out, doing nothing, throwing caution to the wind. Yet this incredibly intelligent, thoughtful individual who at the time, you know, if you put demeanor side by side with someone who's this drunk derelict, I'm like, she could be giving so much more to society, right? So those are kind of the first lessons in like, looking at what's happening. And as you make these judgment calls, those judgments on other people or on the situation start to bend or twist you. Like my father always Mm -hmm. had this incredible thing he would say to us, he would say, as the twig grows, he would say, as the, as the twig grows, as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. So what he would say is,
1: as the twig is bent, bent, so grows,
0: so grows the the tree. Meaning that you're, you're, you're growing out of the ground. And as you have these bends and shifts and knots throughout your life, you may not be a straight up and down tree. You're going to be crooked. There's going to be things that change and move you from side to side and, and, change your course or your trajectory in life. And so there was some bending that was happening with me. Um, And I would say early on, probably not in the most positive way. Um, Definitely very angry. Definitely was like, you know, um, and excuse me for, for saying this, but I, a lot of her friends, I was like, where the fuck are her friends? People kind of just disappeared all of a sudden. And me being the person I am, like I'm not about someone kind of half in and half out, you know. And so there was a lot of that um, feeling, Um, you know, she had the craniotomy. She came out, immediately had to start doing, you know, radiation therapy. um, Immediately had to go on this crazy cocktail of dexamethasone, which is a steroid. So, you know... She, she gained, you know, probably 40, 50 pounds because it would make her eat, which is a good thing. We wanted her to kind of like build up her body, but the steroid itself just made her absolutely crazy, right? She just, she would oscillate in terms of emotions, you know, and super volatile. And so, you know, you're just going through that first part of it, you know, was, was incredibly taxing um, mentally emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, but, you know, you come to find out like that's only one part of the process, right? You, you know, again, yes. hindsight... I want to pause... No, go ahead, please.
1: Go ahead, say, finish your thought. No, finish, hindsight, go ahead, finish your thought. Sorry, it's because we're overlapping. There's like a switch, a slight delay. So when I talk to you, it's kind of like I'm interrupting you. So oh, um, hindsight, go ahead, say that part.
0: I, I think in hindsight what I have realized is that that was just the beginning, right? Cause you're in it and you think like, oh man, this is, this is it. Right. I mean, we're sitting at Cedars and she's having surgery on her brain and the slightest miscalculation could be the end of her. And so you feel like this is it, but in hindsight, I look now at the story and I'm like, that was just the beginning right
1: Mm. Mm. you know when you're saying all this i'm thinking of these two young people going through something so hard right here's you're starting your life you're as a married couple three years into your marriage uh and then you're having to have this major test not only in your relationship but in because of of course you know like you said the medication would affect how she would react and so forth but right. also just in your own relationship to yourself and your creator and everything and your thoughts yeah. and your beliefs right um a big test so question being what did you do in order to um be able to to keep yourself in a way that you're still able to care for her, but also caring Mm -hmm. for yourself. Like what did you do to take care of Jason during that time as you were being a caretaker to her?
0: Um, Early on, I didn't do anything. Um, And what happened was the pressure. And I don't know if you have experienced this, but I assume people listening to this who have gone through a similar situation will um, understand this, the, the pressure and the stress was so immense that there were a lot of times where I, I felt like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to have a stroke. I'm going to have an aneurysm. Like the, the pressure, I've never felt pressure so great um, to the point where I was like, oh, this is going to kill me. Um, and what I immediately did is I would just run whether at a gym or on the street, put my sneakers on and I would just run. And when I was running and jogging, you know, it was sort of like running away from my problems. In that moment, I was able to just run and exert every emotion every ounce of myself physically until i was just completely drained i would just run and run and run and a lot of times i would go to the gym and you know you know we i I would you know kind of get demeanor ready for bed and at some point you know her family being her parents came down and her dad would come and stay with us and her mom um and like, I'd be like, you guys good? And I would get up and go run at like 10 o'clock at night. And I would go to the gym oh. and I would run on that treadmill till like one in the morning. And then I'd come back and just sleep. And that was my way of expending all of the grief, all of the anger, all of the hurt, all of the fear, because, you know, you're not only dealing with the fear of your loved one being sick, but you're dealing with bills, you know, doctors, medications, nurses, you know, there's sort of this thing that I think is also not told about, you know, people who are, who are caregivers. And I felt like it was so particularly for me as a young black man was that, you know, I would have to advocate for demeanor in situations where they would kind of just want to like, be like, we're going to do this. And it'd be like, yo, hold up, what is this? They would have to explain it to me. And in their explanation, I think they felt like, why am I talking to this black dude about this? Right. But I had to wow. be that advocate. So you felt so w- racism.
1: W- you felt yeah. racism even in that. You felt racism in that advocate, being an advocate uh, for your 100%. wife. For, was, was a redhead, a redhead, white, tall, yeah. white woman. Yeah. Uh, like the fair yeah, skin like of probably. Ferris.
0: Right. And so yeah. I, yeah, of course, because you know, I, it's, oh. you know, racism is not a thing in which, You're like, I hate that person because they are black or whatever race. It really is about the education, the misnomers, the things that you think are the person that have no Mm -hmm. bit of, of, of truth to it. So me asking or advocating or disagreeing or asking for second opinions to them was like, you don't have the right to do this. And in fact, you probably wouldn't even know what we were saying if we explained it to you anyways, which I had to quickly shut down all the time. And so I was not liked, but that was okay. It it wasn't about that. But, you know, back to the point of what did I do for myself? I had to run. I had to go lift weights. I had to get back into my body. Like I've always been an athlete, always played sports. Um, And so, that was the time for me to do that, and immediately as I did that, thoughts became clear. Like you know, I think the foundation and the bedrock on which my my emotions ran was just solid. It was far more solid. I was calmer in situations because I was able to exert myself physically and run through all the thoughts of the day and all the emotions of the day. Right. Um, was a big deal. And also just talking to God. You know, I think you can say prayers. You can read, you know, um, text from whatever discipline. But at some point, the conversation when it comes to spirituality is just heart to heart. So I spent a lot of time just talking to God. And of course, in the family I grew up in, that's what we did. Talk to God all the time. There, There was that access. So a lot of the things that were happening with Demeanor were immediately making me fall back on the early education, the early spiritual education I got in the household, um, where I was just talking to God, talking to anyone that would listen in the in the spiritual realm. I remember I think asking my Aunt Betty, who I grew up with, who had passed years before that, like, you know, Aunt Betty, what am I supposed to do? how am I, how am I to react in these situations? And not that she spoke to me, but what was really dope about that is, you know, my aunt Betty and all my family were really like straightforward, hardworking, honest people from Detroit who all worked in the factories and my aunt Betty, one of her favorite things was smoking Um, menthol Benson and Hedges cigarettes and drinking Crown Royal. So when I would have these conversations with her, my eight year old mind would see her smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, being like, baby, it's gonna be okay. You're fine. Like we're here with you. Like it's, you know, it's those things that you fall back on that again, in hindsight, you're like, that is really wild. Like, yo, like, but that's, you know, that's where you draw strength from. That's, you know, who's to say where you draw strength from, right? And so it was these characters and Mm -hmm. these individuals that I just, I would, I would talk to all the time and I would just ask God all the time, like, help me just for today. You know, you tell yourself a lot, like maintain, Mm -hmm. just maintain. And I would go back to that of just being like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Father, I have no idea what Mm -hmm. I'm doing. Make the way. I can't do
1: it. Mm, that is just so. That's so perfect. Just that that submission right to his will at some point coming from having started with the aspect of like why her to then the really like submitting to, submissiveness yeah. to his will and just guiding you in that process Um when you're saying the aspect of exercise, how that was really your therapy, you know, people so much think that exercise is about the body a lot of times in this right. culture, like we don't right. realize how big of a role it plays in our, in our emotional, mental, yes. and spiritual state as yes. well and how important that is. And so for you, having maintained that strength and so forth and what I saw in the video of, of forgiveness on YouTube that you did with Mathai, Cause in that, and I hope people go and I'll put it in the show notes so people can see that video. You talk about how much your strength and your height and everything played a mm-hmm. part in you being Damina's, uh, Damina's a caregiver. So yeah. tell us how tall are you? How tall is Damina? And how, because <laughs> how that role of your strength, physical strength played a part right, in right. your caretaking.
0: Well, you know, Damina was six feet um, and, you know, all my sisters are like 5'11", 5'10", fairly tall women. Um, and, you know, Damina was six feet and I'm six five. So, you know, I, you know, relatively speaking, I'm tall and, and she was tall. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, exercising, although I did not realize it would have that effect, it did help later on as she became um, more, more um, unable to walk. And yeah, and just, you know, I mean, she just lost a lot of motor function at the end being walking and speech. Um, And so I many times would have to pick her up or, you know, at one point when we knew that none of the therapies were working and we started hospice care, there was a day in particular where All of the hospice equipment was coming into the house. So it was like, you know, oxygen, um, a bed so that she could sit up, um, all of these just different amenities to kind of help in that caregiving. And a lot of times I would just have to pick her up. Like I would just have to lift her up so that we could, you know, change a room around or change the sheets. And, you know, and there were things obviously. You know, nurses would come in and they would help but you know it just helped me to be in great physical shape at the time to just like no I got this and just because sometimes you just have to like that's another part of this thing right you just have to lean into it there's no like half in or half out so if you move move with speed and agile and I would just be like oh I'm getting and I'll just pick her up or if we're doing something like let's go we're going we to the pharmacy like it's you become very disciplined in terms of like what's happening with your time because you don't have time to really like sit around and be like, oh, should we do this or should we do that? Well, we'll wait till the nurses come. Like, there's no waiting. You just do it. So, you know, unbeknownst to me, mm-hmm. being in in good shape and just exercising was the best part of like what I could have been as a as a caretaker in a lot of ways. Just physically being there for her. Um, was a big deal because, you know, she didn't want to be trapped in the house. So we'd go for a car ride and, you know, I have to put her into the car or help her out of the car. You know, it's it's all of those things um, that definitely played a role, for sure, for sure.
1: Hmm. Yes, yes. Now, this journey of her diagnosis till her death, how long was that journey?
0: Um, two and a half years, somewhere around there.
1: Um, okay.
0: So you know, I, I and, and yeah, then. yeah.
1: Two and a half years. Now, what were then some of the things that you did then after her death in terms of your grief? Like, what helped you then? You you've mm-hmm. told us what helped you in your grief journey as a caregiver mm-hmm. was exercise and you know prayer and talking. What were some of the tools you used then for your grief journey? after damina's passing
0: oh yeah um i think i can best explain that question by kind of touching on on um a moment and i i I, you know i talk about this in circles and squares but um at the very end you know, she just had no motor functions in terms of being able to walk um, or stand or really sit up. And so, um, you know, it was always a thing of like what she needed versus what, what I thought was right. At the end, it doesn't matter what you think is right or wrong. It's really about what they need. So, you know, she would be like, I want shrimp cocktail. And I'd be like, bet, I'm going to go get you shrimp cocktail. Like it, it wasn't something that was supposed to be in her diet or, you know, but it does that matter. It does not matter a lick. Mm-hmm. One of those things was that, you know, at the end, uh, the nurses were sort of like, well, Demina, you can wear these diapers so that you don't have to get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom. And Demina, being who Demina is, is like, nah, I, I want no part of a diaper. And she was like, Jason, you're going to get me up and you're going to take me to the bathroom. And of course I am, absolutely. And she had the same ritual, like I'm sure we all do, three in the morning he has to get up and go pee and we would do that every night at the end and one night in particular i i think i had kind of just reached the end of my line or what i thought was the end of my line. i was so physically mentally tired emotionally drained um Tired of supporting others, you know because there's a lot of casualties in one person's death, and um you kinda have to you end up sometimes being there for more people than you need to be there for um, and I was getting her up to go to the restroom, and you know i would I would have to to lock my arms under her shoulders and under her arms to kind of lift her up and walk her to the bathroom, which is, you know, a strenuous task. And in that process of of taking her to the restroom that night, as I was walking her back to the bed, I had this divine blessing of what it was all about as clear as a voice could be i was told you are supposed to be doing this this is not only a task for someone who is a husband but it is a divine task that you are able to serve this woman There's no glory in it. There's no, um, there's no elevation of oneself. It is a service. You are supposed to be doing this. And that message for me was so clear and so loud that I immediately thanked God. I remember just saying like, thank you. Like, thank you, Father, and bawling. She didn't know I was crying, but I was bawling because I had realized that what I was doing was a divine gift. My service was a gift to me that I could give to her. And so after she passed, I tried to remember the idea of the gift. And I knew that um, there was no quick and easy solve. There was no piece of it that would have set everything straight or right. But I always, to this day, go back to the idea of the gift. You've been called upon to do something. And I take that very literally in my life to this, this day. If you're called to do something, listen to that voice. That voice is there for a reason. This was not a mistake. You are not a mistake. She was not a mistake. What has happened, although tragic, is not a mistake. Now you get up and you serve. You get up and you activate. Again, all of those things You know, I understand our divine blessings in terms of even being able to recognize that calling. And then I go back even further and I think like, my whole life was preparing me for this moment. It's no accident that my father was a Marine for 18 and a half years. And when we did something in our house, we had to do it right. We did it thoroughly. There was no half-stepping. It wasn't so that you could gain more money or be smarter or, you know, be physically more intimidating. It was so that you could serve in this moment. Mm. That alleviated all of the problems. Problems afterwards being, you know, um, you know, do I stay here? Do I continue to live here? Do I need to keep the same friends that I've always had? Do I need to talk to people at all? Why am I talking to this person? This person doesn't understand me. In fact, why am I having small talk? I hate fucking small talk. Why am I doing this small talk thing? Why do I feel like I have to show up at this party at 9 p.m.? You know what? Maybe I'll get there when I get there. All of those things had to play a role in my healing. I had to question those things. I had to go in and be like, what is really important? Is this important? Is it important that like, I go to this party? No, which is kind of always a thing. I think if you ask any of my friends, like I would go to a party and then they'd be like, where's Jay? Like 10 minutes in and I would be out. I would just jump on a bus or a train cause I didn't want to be there. And I think even more so after all of that, it was just like, what is important? What do I want this to look like? I'm 36 at the time. What do I want this to look like the rest of my life? Do I, huh? You know, I just, I would ask all of these questions. And that's the healing part. Just, I had to go in. I had to like call out my, my bad uh, behavior. I had to call out my good behavior. I had to call out um, the things that people thought I should be doing versus what I needed to do. You know, I, I stayed in the apartment that we um, lived in when Domina passed for about another year. And most of that time in that year was me by myself in that apartment. Like people would, would wanna come by and visit, um, all out of love, obviously, and all out of support, but I just didn't wanna see anyone, mm-hmm. um, which was okay, and I needed that. And then there was a moment when I realized I needed something else. But all of those things took me just asking myself the questions. Simple questions. At one point, I realized that I had to do two things every day because after she passed, I decided not to work. Fortunately, we had savings where I didn't work for nine months after she passed. And I realized like, okay, it's easy for you to stay in the house and not get dressed, not shower, not shave for weeks at a time. So what you're going to do, Jason, is every day you're going to get up, you're going to shave, you're going to shower, you're going to get dressed, and at some point you're going to go outside. Even if it's to the backyard, go outside. Those are things that you kind of have to start mandating for yourself. That's part of that healing process that I don't think anyone can speak to for you. You kind of have to figure that out. And I definitely went to therapy. I definitely went to, you know, I tried, tried doing some like, you know, grief counseling in terms of like sitting with a group of people to talk out their, their grief with family members who had passed. You know, it, it wasn't for me. That was not for me. But I knew like, if I shaved and showered and got dressed and went out, even if I walked down the block to the taco stand, do that. And that immediately um, not only helped in the healing, but it immediately informed me of the person I wanted to be. It informed me the, the idea of the life I wanted to live moving forward the craft that I wanted to perfect and practice the individuals that I wanted to connect with, or that I did not want to connect with became really apparent and have really shaped who I've become since then, I believe for the better. But my healing is mine. And I just, I continue to say that because I want people to understand, like, I don't care Who tells you, I don't care if it's Oprah and Dr. Phil having a one-on-one with you. It's yours. This is yours. These decisions, these feelings, these emotions, the way you move through the world during, before, and after are yours. People may have some kind of insight, but at the end, they have no idea what you are feeling, thinking, or dealing with. So... Mm -hmm it's yours. And in that, for me, there's a lot of freedom. If I have to do something yes. that someone wants me to do, I have no I have no other choice but to do it. And if I make the choice on what I want it to be, that is a, a vastly greater freedom for me than not having that. Some people may find that like, you know, like, oh, the burden of like, just tell me what to do. I think some people just want you to tell them what to do. i I didn't want any part of that and that was a big piece of this and that was that was the blessing mm. of the healing. I know who I am.
1: that's so beautiful. now you yeah because of that journey because of that journey you discovered who you were and it something struck me when you were saying how you had to come back again to thinking, what was important and what kind of legacy you wanted to have then. It reminded me of even just that choice and and thought process you had had some years then before when you chose to lead a path as a Baha'i in a Baha'i life. You had similar questions then in terms of your life then as what was happening then in this moment after your wife died, like these like uh aha kind of moments as Oprah, You since you mentioned Oprah, uh aha kind of moments of like, whoa, okay. Like, what is it that, how is it that I'm gonna leave my life? What do I wanna leave behind? That's just amazing. You said two, you said two things that you did. You said that get up, shave, shower, and go outside. Was there another another um part of that equation or were these all like in the same one? Was that another, it, it was, another it, thing? It was, was really
0: it? just that thing. I think uh-huh. it was the, that was like the baby step. Cause I had was you know, I, yeah. I was just in the house a lot. Move. Fact, just I, move I, it. I, moving. Yeah, I, I just remember like you know laying on my floor in in our apartment in Highland Park those beautiful wood floors and you know Mathai and my good friend Juan came over and they were like knocking at the bottom gate and like Jason and I just was laying on the floor. I was like I'm not getting up off the floor I'm gonna lay here and they they were just persistent and made me get up. They made me get up off the ground. And when I they walked into the apartment, they were like, how are you doing? Because I clearly looked disheveled. I'm a super neat person. I'm very clean. The house I'm sure was in disarray, which, you know, for anyone that knows me is like, that's not, that's not Jay. And I think that's kind of the baby step when I realized, get up. Shave, shower, get dressed, go outside, just just take, just take, do that. I remember how hard it was to shave. I didn't wanna shave. I didn't wanna brush my teeth. I didn't wanna shower. I didn't wanna get dressed. And so that was me forcing myself to do it. It's almost like you're out of shape physically and you get on that treadmill or you lift that weight and you're like, this is the worst thing I could possibly be doing for myself. Mm-hmm. When in fact, it might be the best thing, right? And it was those small steps. It's just like, go outside. Because I think if I would have not gone outside, fear would have taken over. Um, And I say fear because, you know, your home then becomes a bubble. I think we're living in a time right now where we're having to live in in a
1: bubble. Right now, yeah.
0: Right now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a forced bubble. And that felt like a forced bubble that was not get out. Don't live in fear of like, you know, because again, after all of that happened, I was like, I'm going to die. I'm sure I'm going to die. I remember going seeing a doctor right after, um, maybe a month or so after she passed and was just, uh, I assumed that I had high blood pressure and, you know, all kinds of things was going on. And he was like, you're in great shape. He's like, you can gain a pound or two, mm-hmm. but you're in great shape. And it shocked me to hear that. Yeah,
1: you have I like hypochondria.
0: Is. You have like hypochondriac. Uh, 100%. I like was definitely. No, I was so Because you interfered. come from trauma. It is. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, you and had so experienced the trauma, you know? Yeah.
0: And you, you assume, like, okay, well, that's it. I did that. Okay, it's my turn. Which now I, I understand why a lot of spouses pass after their loved one passes because they're sort of like, okay, it's done. And they kind of like move all their chips to the center of the table. And they're just kind of finished. Mm. And so I kind of had to go through that. Mm. And part of that was just go outside, experience life again. A really, you know, a really beloved friend of mine um, by the name of Gideon, we went out one night um, and we went to the movies, just me, him and I. and, And he was like, I want you just to remember something, Jay. He was like, just remember that don't feel like you have to do anything, but also remember that you're now coming back into life. So mm-hmm. when you come back into this life, you're being like, oh, velvet. I remember what velvet feels like. Oh, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And this is, is this silk? Oh, this is silk. Oh, okay. Okay. Or, or corduroy. He's like, you just, you're kind of like feeling these fabrics and just remembering what it feels like all over again and not to rush that process and i was like that was probably one of the greatest things that could have been said to me at the time because you know you you sometimes feel like okay i have to like jump back into life or jump back into society or the rules of of how to move in this life or oh i got to start making money again or and he just gave me, again, the freedom and gave me, in a way, the permission to just be like, slow down. Enjoy what's in front of you right now. Enjoy all of this and take your time. It's okay. That permission was huge for me at the time. I, like, I needed that desperately.
1: That's so awesome. Now, let me ask you, had Gideon experienced grief that he had that particular perspective of saying, had he been through something hard in his life no. that he knew had, you know what I mean? Somebody, yeah. it just came to him to have that. That's such an, a beautiful insight that he had he, and to I share mean, it with
0: you. He he hadn't, there had not been, um, at least from what I know, a passing that you know happened in his life. But You know, when, again, when you have the right people in your life, friends, those that are truly beloved, they see you, they know who you are. When someone knows you and loves you, they can speak to you and give wisdom that they're not aware of because of that love. He was just sharing an insight. Back back to that bond. that, That it's that bond.
1: Back to that vibe, the vibe that you mentioned. We're connected by that vibe called love. And once that's there, then you're basically connecting soul to soul. So it's your soul. soul is telling the other soul what yeah. it is it needs, even though the mind of the person that's communicating may not necessarily yeah. rationally know, again, is that love and soul connection that ends up having. That's just and, so profound.
0: And, it, and that's what it is. I mean, it's funny because after the forgiveness um, episode came out, you know, Gideon and I got on the phone and and we're just talking about it because, you know, Gideon, we call him Gideon. His name is Alexander Gideon, Um, Mm. but I call him Gideon. You know, Gideon was one of the friends who came over the night Damina passed. He is one of the people who helped carry her body down um, to the ambulance. And so that connection, how can you, there's no, there's no faking. There's no, um, you know, sort of like translucent, transparent, sort of pseudo friendship. It's, you're all in. It's, it's all in. Mm. So for him to say that afterwards, it's just, it's that bond, that vibe of love that we've been talking about. He knew exactly. His soul knew exactly the message my soul needed at that very moment.
1: Absolutely, so perfect. That is just amazing. Now let's let's uh, as we transition here, let's talk then about how then in that uh, dynamic of support, how has your marriage now with Tara and mm. being a dad with two kids? How's that yeah. played a part? And I know Tara uh, also honors when it's Damina's on anniversary. So they had, they course. knew each other because Tara was in your circle of friends. Very well. So, yeah. um, so how is that as now married to somebody that she herself does not, ha- is not a widow, you're a widower. Right. How has that right. dynamic been?
0: I mean, I should start by saying two things, um, just sort of to give background and, and context. Um, after Damina passed, um, my mom told me um, in a conversation that my mom and I always have. She told me, she was like, you're not done. You're not done loving. There's a lot of love in you still to give. You're not done. And I immediately responded with, mom, I'm done. It's over. I'm, I'm done. I don't wanna do this anymore. I'm I'm not I'm not getting married. I'm not going to have kids. And my mom immediately stopped me and was like, "I understand if you feel that way, but don't you ever give word to that again. Don't speak that. You can feel that, but don't speak it. The moment you speak it, it's the reality. That is what it is." She was like, "You can feel it, but don't speak it. Hold off on that. And I, I took that wisdom. The second thing you should know is that Tara was living, um, for a minute, she was kind of traveling abroad and living in Belize. And so I hadn't seen her for you know a good period of time while Damina was sick. But the one thing that Damina always would have us do is play Tara's music. She loves Tara's voice. She loves the message that Tara gives. And I remember, you know, Tara did some song and Demina was like, I don't like that song because it's not in the spirit of who she is. Like she was very clear on like,
1: no. She
0: was like, no, that's not, that's not Tara. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, But, you know, there were two moments where, when Damina was, in the bed and had, um, had, had a little bit of the ability to speak, but none to walk. Um, Tara came over, washed her hair, cut her hair, did her nails, and then sung to her. Um, she did that when she got back from Belize and sung to her. Um, and then she did it again the day before Demina passed. And I did not find this out until later, much later, but that day before Demina passed, Tara um, was singing to her, and then she started doing her nails and and kind of just loving up on Demina. And Tara, you know, to put Demina's heart at ease told Damina, hey, don't worry about Jay. We're going to take care of him. We're all going to take care of him. We love him. We are his friends. We are his family. We are going to take care of him. And Damina stopped her and waved her off as if to say, no, 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 no. And she pointed at Tara and said, you're going to take care of him. And Tara was like, no, 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 we're we're gonna, we're gonna take care of Jason. Don't worry, all of us, like we're gonna take care. And she stopped her again, waved her off and was like, no, you're going to take care of Jason. And so, I mean, I didn't know that until after we were married, being Tara and I. Which would make sense because the first time I asked Tara out on a date, she was like, what is your problem? Why, why would you ask me that? No. Looking back on it, she was, she was fearful. She was scared because Debraina had so clearly (laughs) was like, no, you're going to take care of him. And so with that, you know, Tara is exactly where I'm supposed to be. The blessing of my life and the continual story and thread throughout my life is that God makes it so easy for me to live this life that he places me exactly where I need to be when I need to be. And that I am just Mm -hmm. submissive enough that I'll roll with it that's been my blessing.
1: You know what Tara. the blessing is, Jason, is the fact that you're no, aware ahead. of that. The fact that you're aware the fact that you're aware of that that you're where it has to be in the hard times and in the good times that you know that that's exactly where you're supposed to be. That's the blessing itself because all of us are in that space in our life. We just have to make that awareness of knowing that we are exactly where we have to be for ourselves, for our own growth and spiritual growth. So what a blessing that you're aware of that. Um, that's go it. ahead. Fin- yeah. No, that's, that's
0: yeah. I mean, because we're just, we're hard-headed, you know. We, we think we want things or, you know, and it may not be. And for me, it's always the better good. I'm blessed with the better good. I I might want to do something or or be something. And it's like, no, that's not for you. And then in the moment, you're like, oh, man, but I really want that. And then you're like, no, I I guess I didn't because that was not it. That's my blessing. I don't have to fight Mm -hmm. that blessing ever. And and Tara is part of that. I told my mom I wasn't going to love again, that I was not going to have kids. Before Demena passed, she had said no to that. She said no to that. I now have two wonderful kids that when I look at them, I continually say to myself, I did not think I was gonna have children. That's the blessing in having children alone for me. Saying to myself like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna have children. That's That's not in the cards for me. And now I look at them and I'm like, this is bananas. (laughs) Two beautiful kids that I'm like, yo, what was I thinking? They're so (laughs) amazing. They're the dopest kids ever. My daughter Parker, who's now eight, speaks truth to any and everyone. My son Major, who is six, has no care in the world for what society thinks. He does what he wants to do and he does it when he wants to do it. That one right there, that's the gift and, and, and the curse. Because we have to teach him like, hey, make sure you're on point with that. Make sure you know, you're know you not treading on other people's liberties and loves. But when he wants it and he wants to do it, that steadfastness, never seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm brilliant children, brilliant, and that's me. That's, that's the, the second half of learned. my life.
1: Yeah,
0: That's my story. I, I get to tell that mm, that's as part legacy. of my story.
1: That's your legacy.
0: And you mm. know, it's like, it's my legacy, but also they're just doing it at a higher clip than I was ever doing it. You look at them and you're like, they're doing this mm. so much better than I was doing it. At eight, I could not have told my father the things that Parker tells me because I did not think I had um, permission to speak so honestly and truthful. Mm. She just says it. Daddy, I don't like that. And will give me a reason why. Man, come on, doing that at eight as a girl? Think about her doing that as a woman at 19. Let's change the world. Go. She's, she, that's, yeah. by the way, women, please she take will. Over the world. I, she please. will.
1: Yes. And she, she is going to be part of that movement. When I see videos of her, I always like comment, you know, on Tara's like, you know, Instagram. I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see this child as an adult. Like what she's going to do is like, you know, wait for it. Like, it's like yeah. going to be yeah. like, whoa, yeah. because yeah. you can see that. That pre, 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 precocious but pre, that's not the word uh is that the word in, precoce is in spanish uh precoce like just very uh like a, she like, a, like
0: progressive
1: yeah pre, precoce as yeah, somebody that's just a little beyond their years oh uh, yes like, yeah or as my um, mom
0: would say this girl's been here before
1: yeah that kind of yeah that old <laughs> soul type of mentality yeah yeah yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah you see yeah. that you see that in. in in her way of like you said the way of speaking so it's been just such an amazing journey just even just chatting here with you the last hour and hearing all these stories and um getting to know you in this other level my friend has been just such a joy i'm like here i've tried to hold back some of these tears because it's just so emotional to me um one because I know you but just the, also just the the journeys and I I learned so much from the people I interview because there's something yeah. else in that journey that I even learned for myself and take on. So thank you so much for for no. sharing all this.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I mean, you know, the one thing that you assume happens is that you tell, you know, a story around death and that it it becomes draining. And that can be true, but I don't think that's true in my case, and I don't think that's true for what you're doing with this platform. I think the idea of healing comes in a lot of different ways, and I think you voicing it and having a platform for it and a safe space, um, if you will, is just amazing, Kendra. I, you know, well, it was. It, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because We think no one wants to hear the story, but what we actually realize is that we all share the same story. And if I can Mm -hmm. recount part of my story that can in some way help someone else, then we just get back to exactly what we were talking about at the top of the episode, which is the vibe and that being love. If I can love you, there's a lot of different ways to love you. And this being one of them, You are loving a lot of people, Kendra, with this. That's amazing.
1: Oh, like blessings to you. Well, I wouldn't be able to do it. Thank you, and blessings to you too. Because I wouldn't be able to do it if I did not have guests that uh, agreed to be on here and sharing their journeys. Because my goal is for really for people that are listening. If this ends up being the tool that they want to use for their grief journey, to listen to these, you know, episodes. If that's their tool that's yeah. great. Just like you said, it's it's a fit for whoever, just like the group group kind of therapy was sure. not your fit for your sure. journey. This might sure. not be somebody else's fit, but it will be for some. And if that can be that tool for somebody in their journey to know that they're not alone, to know that somebody else has been through something similar um, and, and just listen to some of these great tips of just even yeah. just get yourself up go out, you know, simple things like that, yeah, that just yeah. uh, putting one foot forward as hard as it may feel that day, just that can help your healing. So yeah, thank you. And so for Circles and Squares, for, search it on YouTube. Yes, um,
0: Circles and Squares on YouTube. Um, you know, again, it's just a chance for us to tell a story. Um, Mathai and I, uh, Mathai, a longtime writer, me, a time in network television, um, and producing across different digital platforms, we just came up with a concept of like, how great would it be if black men told their story, and there was no kind of hype around it. We've known each other so long, we're so we're so intermingled in our stories that you know, we were like, they're funny, they're sad. Yeah. they' they're they're all of the emotions, like you know, the spectrum of emotions we go through but they're always authentic and artfully done. And that's kind of what we're about and what we're hoping to do. And so, yes, if you have an opportunity- They're to get beautiful.
1: People, circles
0: and Squares will change your life.
1: Yes, it is. And you, what I can say though, the only thing I'd change about Circles and Squares is that uh, I want each episode to be a little longer, a longer, I'm like <laughs> listening. And then I'm like, it's done. Yeah, That's it? We, we get in I and want get want out, more.
0: man. No, we're gonna oh, do ten episodes. I'm you know, like, we, I want we have two episodes up, and they're like eleven minutes each. But you know, as we've decided to move forward with this concept and build out the next five episodes, which we're in production for now, it's just the right amount. We want people to keep coming back, and we want to be able to tell a story well. Like you know, we gotta sit small steps, baby. It's small steps. Oh.
1: Man, 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 I can't, I'm like, I want more, as you see, like this episode, just us talking has been an hour and 20 minutes, so I'm like, I'm I'm that kind of person that just wants to know everything of the person's story, so when you guys do the circles,
0: you have not changed a bit, so in circles and
1: squares, I'm kind of like,
0: (laughs) you're still like the same 22 year old, I swear, yeah, yeah, I love Um, it. You would ask, I'm just, I'm just like as a side same. note, you would ask questions that no one else would ask. Like, it's funny because, you know, again, being really? 22, 23, I remember us having conversations and you being like, so what is your mom like? And I'd be like, yo, like no one has ever asked me like, really? what my mom is like. You, you are just very much like, let's go in, which I love. I want to have a conversation. I love it's having conversation. Let's get the small talk stuff out of the way. Like, I don't want any part of that. But you would just go right in, and like Love that me. smile and those eyes, you would just go in, like, be like, "Is she? Can she see my soul?" Oh, that's I so think,
1: funny. I think Kendra
0: can see my soul.
1: That's so funny that you said it. I, didn't, I would, didn't know that I used to ask those kind of questions in my twenties. Yeah, I didn't know that. So I, yeah. thank you. I'm glad you remember that. I guess I'm in the right platform then. You, oh, your purpose is well yes yes <laughs> thank you my friend thank you once again please hug tara and the kiddos for me yeah, we'll and do. a big big hug to you and um i can't wait for people to listen to this story and Tamina's story Damina. i keep on like Damina, I Damina. Love...
0: that's that's dope do it just do
1: sorry. it sorry. I mean,